This episode of the RPG Academy podcast is brought to you by BoardGameTables.com. Have you ever wanted to purchase a top-of-the-line gaming table for your home, but don't have the thousand, two thousand, or more dollars to spend? Well, BoardGameTables.com has you covered. Right now, they are running a Kickstarter that is at this moment over a million dollars pledged with 1,500 plus backers for a new model in gaming tables. It is still top of the line, but by streamlining some of the options down to the ones that are most commonly chosen anyway, they have been able to reduce the price dramatically. The uh, entry-level price for the Duchess table is only $4.99. That gives you a beautiful table uh, that will fit in anyone's home and be perfect for game nights. There are some additional options if you raise the price where you can add cup holders, as well as a table topper, which will allow you to use this table as both a game table and a kitchen table. It makes it spill-proof so that any of the games that you leave inside while you're eating or the mat itself uh, will not get harmed by anything that you were to spill. So it is an amazing deal. 1,500 plus people have already pledged. And if you are interested in a table, I cannot stress enough that you need to at least check this out to see if this is something you would want to do. I had a chance to actually sit down at the tables at Origins and I met Chad, who was the originator and creator. And they're pretty awesome. I mean, in all honesty, I don't need one of these and I'm still thinking about doing it uh, because the price is so good and the tables are so cool. So please head on over to boardgametables.com uh, or go straight to kickstarter.com and search The Duchess, that's D-U-C-H-E-S-S, and take a look and see if this is something that's right for you. And if it is, please let them know that you came over after hearing it on our podcast. Uh, boardgametables.com and Chad are sponsoring a catacon with a monetary donation, and I would like for them to come back year after year and that's where you guys come in. So please check out their Kickstarter. And if it's something you want to do, awesome. But let them know that we sent you. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me, as I always do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing this fine evening, sir? Uh, you know, not too bad. I uh, got a couple days off work, trying to rest, got a big to-do list, but I think I'm going to come at this with a, a plus two morale bonus because I'm enjoying my day off today, so I'm I'm pretty happy. How about you, Michael? Uh, not too bad, actually. I had uh, was at Origins, which we are going to talk about. Uh, but other than that, things are good. Um, Catacon still pressing along. We started working on virtual game stuff this week, getting those organized. So that's exciting. Definitely talked about a Catacon at Origins, so that was exciting. So yeah, so good stuff. Uh, but before we get too far into anything, we want to take a step back, as we always do, and say why we're here. With these table topic episodes, Caleb and I like to try to share some of the wisdom that he and I have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not be applicable at every table, every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal, and Caleb, what is that piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. 
That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you play, what system or edition, or what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And with that out of the way, let's just go ahead and jump right into tonight's topic, which is basically an origins review recap uh, with some other things kind of sprinkled in. So I will turn it over to you, sir. Alrighty. Well, I unfortunately did not get down to Origins this year. I really wanted to since it's so close. Uh, in the past, I have done the whole uh, just a one day or a family day just to come down and hang out and experience everything. But it did not happen this year due to work scheduling. So I have to live uh, vicariously through you, Michael and the other members of the RPG Academy Network, because quite a few of us did show up. Uh, now, you were lucky enough to attend the entire event this year, correct? Uh, no, I actually didn't get to go Wednesday. Uh, unfortunately, uh, work and vacation don't always match up very well. So I drove in Thursday after work. So I missed like a day, I guess, because it kicks off Wednesday night. That's still pretty good, though. You, you still had uh, Thursday through Sunday. Yep. So that's a that's a great weekend of gaming down in Columbus, Ohio, which is a city I love to visit uh, and hang out in. And hey, maybe I'll just pick up and move. I don't know. Hey, at least you you be there for next year. <laughs> it might take me an entire year to figure out how to move, so uh, maybe I won't. <laughs> but you were there, so that's all that matters. Yes. So why don't you tell us? basically what you did i know origins has a whole lot to offer so what did you get yourself into so not surprising i focused the majority of my time on role-playing games uh, what? <laughs> as you do uh so off the bat i want to thank origins and gamma which is the organization that puts on origins they did once again give me a press badge i'm not sure that i have earned it any of the times they have but they continue to do so so i will continue to take it um so i didn't have to pay for my badge and I kind of did for Origins what I have threatened to do for Gen Con. And what I'm trying to do for Gen Con this year is that I tried to go in with a very light schedule and just kind of be open to being able to do things. And it made for a very enjoyable experience. This was one of my best con experiences from the standpoint of I got to do a lot of really cool things, but I never felt pressured. I had plenty of free time. I got to eat some really good food. So... A1 plus uh, experience for me. The only event I actually bought a ticket for and showed up to was Thursday night. I got to play in a D&D Dread game. And, you know, longtime listeners know I have ran that myself a couple times. Mine's a little bit different because I'm a little bit different. But I wanted to try out someone else's version to kind of see what I could learn and what could I, could, I could take from the experience. And it was a really good game. It was put on by a company or a group called Windmill Games. I don't know if they produce content or if they just run events kind of like uh, U2 Can Cthulhu does. But uh, basically they had one room that was just them and they ran games in there all uh, weekend. And it was a very, very good Dread experience. Wasn't a lot of crossover to what mine is because of some of the Michaelisms I've done. But it was still a lot of fun. I met several people there uh, that I I think might show up to a catacon because uh, it was a lot of fun all the way around. We all had a good time. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a great start to be able to kick it off with a great game. The first thing is because we drove up there. I got there like at 730. That game was at eight. So pretty much I walked in and then went straight to it. That's cool. Uh, it, it's good to know that you weren't as 
uh, chaotic and hectic as you have been in other conventions. I know anytime we've had a convention recap, a constant theme in your stories is, oh my goodness, it w I was so busy, I didn't get to relax, I was going from one event to the other, and it was just one thing added on top, and it just went bonkers at the end. So I'm glad you tried a different strategy, and I'm glad to hear that you were successful in your strategy. So why don't we actually just talk about that Dread game, since that was kind of your inaugural event. Uh, was this a giant Jenga tower? Was it a regular Jenga tower? So it was... that's the first thing I want to know, for some <laughs> odd reason. I don't know why. Well, funnily enough, it was a regular tower, but we had the option of a Transformers-themed tower or the the regular. And the, the GM set up that basically one of them is a little bit more slick. The Transformer one is like a... It's not like a wood block. He said so the pieces can come out easier, but that also means they can fall easier. They don't have any grip to them. So we ended up going with the traditional regular wood block version. Well, inquiring minds find that to be a very important detail. So thank you for sharing. Yes, thank you very much. So uh, what was the game like? What was the setup? What did you guys do? Okay, so the first thing that we did is we we used the scenario character sheet questionnaires, which the way that I have done my Dread games in the past, I have not used those. Uh, one, because in the games I run, you usually play yourself so that you don't really need the questionnaires because you're playing you. And then um, I probably will start using them for the return of the Dread Eye. Uh, because I really liked them. I actually thought they added a lot to the game when you weren't playing an existing character. Uh, so, I, so I liked that. And, and it set up some interesting relationships. You know, all the questions referenced other people at least once. So we were building these connections, but, which is funny. There's actually one person I put was my best friend, and on his, he put he hated me. So we kind of worked that out that I was oblivious to the fact that he didn't think I was funny, uh, which actually, you know, true to life. I don't know that we were role-playing very hard. Uh, but it was a very cool D&D-ish uh, session. We played basically like equivalent of 20th level characters. We were sent, we were basically the archetype, you know, if, I, if there, one of us was the fighter, they were the fighter. If one of us was the wizard, they were the wizard. We were the most powerful heroes in the realm. And one of our friends, which was a character that wasn't played, mysteriously died with no evidence of foul play. And then there just started all the sort of supernatural stuff started happening around us. And we realized that we were being targeted by these supernatural forces. And it became very much like a psychological study. We were, we were all sequestered together and we started having visions of our past failures. Uh, maybe seeing visions of people that we may have, you know, caused harm to in the, uh, the, the course of our d heroic duties. And uh, it was very interesting. I don't really want to give away too much because people might run, you know, play this themselves. Uh, but I thought it worked out very well, and I really, really enjoyed the game. Okay, so what is something that you plan on taking from that game, whether style or structure, into your own versions of Dread? Because I know you really like running Dread, and you have a lot of different versions of it that you enjoy playing. So what are you borrowing to improve your own games? Uh, so the first would be the questionnaires where they make sense. And then most of the Dread games I run are an all or nothing. So the, the team can win together or not. And this version was the more traditional where some of us died as we went along. And when you do that, you restress the tower 
between each person. And I thought that their restressing was very aggressive. <laughs> like we were pulling a lot of bricks early, uh, which I have not done with mine. I, I guess in, in some ways, I think because I did an all or nothing, I didn't want the game to be over too quick. Uh, so I kind of was really slow with the draws early on and they were a lot more aggressive with them. We were pulling early uh, and often, which worked. I mean, it was a four hour game. It was over like four hours and 15 minutes. And I think we had three deaths total out of seven players. So when you say the pulls were very aggressive, are you saying that the GM was asking you to pull a brick very frequently or was the GM asking you to pull bricks for things you might not agree with being a reason to pull a brick? Uh, in some ways, a little bit of both. And, and there was no animosity. Like, I don't think they did a poor job, but I was surprised. In a lot of cases, we were pulling them almost like perception checks. Like, he would tell us to pull a brick without telling us why. Once we pulled the brick, if we were successful, he would pull us to the side and then tell us something that we noticed or became aware of that fed into that psychological aspect of you saw this person do this or you saw a vision of this thing. So we didn't even know what we were pulling. It wasn't like we were trying to defend ourselves or climb something or, or whatever. It was just pull a brick and then if you make it, come over and see me. Which I, again, I, I haven't ran that much dread other than the ones I've done. And I just thought that was unusual. But it certainly added to the tension because the tower, we were going through it really quick. I was going to say, regardless of the reason for doing so, the effect in practice is that it ratchets up the tension and the danger very quickly. Uh, my initial instinct was, well, if this is more of a typical D&D setting, in D&D, you make a lot of checks. You make skill checks. You make perception checks. Uh, you make a check to climb over a wall or something. So it's very possible that asking for more brick pulls reflects that aspect of the original game. Uh, that the GM is trying to mirror, but the way you described it is much more about building the tension and the flavor of the story. It, it's bridging that gap between uh, the tension we see physically in reality with the tower and the tension that you're pretending with your characters. So that's a pretty good strategy. I like that a lot. Uh, that's something I might try to incorporate myself. Uh, so did you die? Uh, no, I did not. Oh, successful winner. I was making jokes. Every time someone died, I would be like, you know, that guy owed me 100 gold, right? And then next time I said, that guy owed me 200 gold, right? Yeah, that guy owed me 300 gold. <laughs> uh, I was <laughs> I basically played Thorn from our Shadow of the Demon Lord game. I was a halfling prick. Um, it, there was some very good role play. I was very pleased with how it turned out. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, that is a great experience, and I think there's definitely some great tips we can pull from that, especially because both of us like running Dread so much. I'm going to be running in a few minutes, actually, once we're done with this episode, so I'm going to try to incorporate some pacing into that. Interesting, interesting. That's a nice little teaser for our listeners, and because they have no idea what we're talking about, let's just say it has to do with a game that Michael's running at Gen Con. Yes. And most likely a Catacon too. Oh, absolutely. If it goes well, I definitely will be playing it again. I think if it goes badly, you'll be playing it again to try to make it right. Probably, yeah. Either way, <laughs> it'll, it'll happen again. All right. So that was, uh, that was Thursday. You drove up. You played Dread. You survived. What happened next? 
slept in a little bit, you know, leisurely, not too worried about uh, about timing because we were we were free to to run around. Uh, I, I did take my traditional corner with the sleeping bag and air mattress. Actually, that's not true. The first night I slept in the bed because it was just the two of us. Michael, uh, Michael came up with me, and then the next day we had two more people joined us. So the the second and third night I slept in the corner. But we basically got up and went we went and ate at the North Market, I think what's called there in Columbus, which I'd never gone to before, which was amazing. I think that's what it's called. It's like a, a it's almost like an indoor flea market, but all the stalls are like independent different types of restaurants. So you have within there you have like a pizza place, an Indian place, a Polish place, a Japanese place. I mean, you name it, Korean food, sushi, everything, ice cream. So it's just like a little specialty restaurants just line this inside stall thing. And all the food was great. So that's also where Jenny's ice cream is. I think I, I was talking to you. I'd never had that. Um, so I tried that while I was there. You got to love some Jenny's. That is fantastic. It was good. Not going to say it wasn't good. Nah, it wasn't any better than to me than Coldstone. Like I would have preferred Coldstone over, over Jenny's. <sighs> well, I guess that's it. Show's over. <laughs> Uh, let's get a new co-host in here. I don't know if we can continue this relationship. <laughs> but uh, back to origin. So um, we uh, we end up getting some generics, and uh, Michael was basically uh, my my convention partner all weekend, and we got into a game of Baker Street, which is a uh, Sherlock Holmes sort of themed game. Uh, from what I gathered from playing it, that uh, Sherlock Holmes has gone missing. You know, following the narrative of the story, he went off over Reckenbach Falls. And some of his associates have sort of taken up the mantle with Watson to try to continue to to do his work. So there were a bunch of us. There was like a chimney sweep. I'm a gentleman thief. There was another guy who was a big game hunter. Another person was another doctor. And uh, basically, we would take on his clients in his stead. And there were some, you know, as far as like checks and stuff, the, the mechanics were pretty simple. You had skills that you would roll. If you were proficient in them, you got a bonus. Uh, there was a random die, which I found kind of interesting. It had three blank sides, if I remember correctly. Then there was a Sherlock Holmes side, a Moriarty side, and a Watson side. And if you rolled Sherlock, it basically gave you a bonus. Watson was sort of neutral, and Moriarty was like a penalty. And, you know, you just try to get higher than uh, what your opponent got. But what I found pretty interesting is they had mechanized the sort of inductive logic that Sherlock Holmes uses. So rather than just strictly role-playing, though that was an avenue, when you went into a room, you could do like an observation and you would roll against your observation trait. And based on your success, you would be given a number of clues. And each clue had three, basically options. They called them leads. But like, for example, you might notice that a mirror was broken and then it would give you three things that that broken mirror might mean. It might mean that it was in the struggle. It might mean it was broken after the fact, or it might mean something else. And then once you gathered all your clues, you would have your, they called it deductive reasoning. I actually think it's inductive reasoning, but I may be in a, a here, so we'll move on. But basically you rolled to see if you could figure out which of those three leads was, was actually the right one. And you didn't always get it. Like, let's say you had three clues each clue had three leads, so you had nine possible options. You may only get enough to get three of them. So do you take one clue and make sure you get it right and then guess on the other two, or do you take your shot? Because basically you get a yes or no answer. So you could have three, and you can say, it's like, uh, I can eliminate this one, but it's one of the other two leads. 
And then that's where more like the role playing and the actual character or player knowledge comes in. Like, which one do you think makes the most sense? And so you try to figure out of the two that are left, which one do we think it is? Does that fit the other two? And at the end of the day, if you do it perfectly well, you will be able to figure out exactly what the clues are and how they relate to the to the mystery. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I would need to play it a few more times to determine if I really liked it. The two things that stood out to me is, one, I felt that role-playing should have counted more because there was at least one case in particular where a character tried to do something that had they been allowed to do, and it wasn't like there was an in-game force. It was just the DM said, hold on. That would have given us one of them because we he should have saw something that the lead told him if he had done that action, if that makes sense. Uh, so I felt like role-playing should have counted for a little bit more. And it makes me think that writing your own adventure for that game would be terrifying because it would almost be impossible to improv well enough because you need you need actual thought out clues. You need leads. You, well, you need clues and you need three leads on there that are all somewhat plausible, close enough to be potentially right answers. So they're not just like two of them are just completely dumb and you know they're not uh, related. So it just makes me think that you would be very dependent on buying their modules, which may be part of the reason why they do it. Or you would have to spend a lot of time prepping for your own game, which, you know, if you're into that, it could be great. But I'm moving more and more towards an improv style where because I, I don't have time for that. And so I was just afraid that I don't know that I would be able to run that game the way I normally would because of that. Or it would, it would lessen the experience if I tried. Well, that sounds pretty interesting. Uh, I've always been a big fan of Sherlock Holmes in any iteration or version. And being able to play the Baker Street Irregulars is a very interesting take on the genre. It's also a very interesting approach to the mystery game, which has always, to me at least, been a puzzle that I have not been able to figure out, mostly because I don't have an idea of how to split between character problem-solving and player problem-solving. And it seems like uh, this game has a fairly interesting take on how to do it. But like you said, if role-playing doesn't factor into a logical degree, it seems like it's more of a weird version of Clue than a really clever role-playing game. More of like a, a puzzle app that you'd be playing with where you just have to click on the right things and, and figure out how they go together. Yeah, it's, you know, and... It's weird because it wasn't like it was completely separate because there were things that came out in role play that informed our guesses when we did not get enough successes to completely eliminate leads off of the clue. So it wasn't like it was completely separate. I just felt like it could have been more integrated, uh, which that might have made it too easy. And maybe that's what the thing was, is because we were doing a good job and being thorough. And there was also eight of us, which I'll circle back around to in a minute that maybe we could have just solved it too easily and that would have not... Because, again, the, this is a newer game. They were trying to show the game. They wanted us to experience the mechanics of the game. So in your home game, you absolutely could do that if you wanted to. And it may have been a decision on her part to say, I want you to to know how the game works, so I'm just going to I'm gonna say no now, but in my home game, of course I would have let you. Well, you know, it's still very intriguing, whichever way it actually was. And uh, that's definitely a game I wish I would have been there to play. That that really catches my interest. 
Well, there's maybe, a chance uh, they're going to be at a catacon. I, uh, I did talk to them about it. Hey, you know, I was going to say maybe they'd be willing to be guests on the show, but if they want to come down to a catacon this November 11th through 13th in Dayton, Ohio, uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I, I gave my card. And actually, I spoke to the guy last year, and I apologize, I don't remember his name, but he actually almost came last year when the game debuted, and it just didn't work out timing-wise, and plus we were so small, I just don't know if it was worth you know, his his time this year being a little bit larger, and I think the game's a little bit more established, they were definitely receptive to it. So I'm, fingers crossed, we may actually be able to offer some of those games at a catacomb. Well, that's really exciting. But do you know what will be better about the games at a catacomb versus the ones at Origin? Tell me, please. There won't be eight players at the table. hey that's definitely good. I I don't like games with eight players. It just, it bugs me. And I did have fun with that game. But I would have had a lot more fun with five players. I just think eight's too many. You know, we were all, and again, we we all did a, a good job. No one was no one was mean or bad or anything like that. But you just got eight people, and everybody wants to do something different, and it takes time. And you're moving around the table, and she did a good job making sure everyone got involved. But that also means that seven people aren't involved a lot of the time. And I just I think I think eight's too many for uh, for a game. I just don't like eight, and uh, that bothers me. Actually, there was a game that uh, we got into with generics, and we ended up backing out of later because we were we were going to have eight players, and I just didn't want to do that again. Well, that's fair. That's fair. I, I think there are some games that lend themselves to a big group, uh, but when you are in a role playing game, and there is an aspect of stepping into the spotlight and sharing that spotlight with other players and characters, the more people that are there, the more difficult that is. Uh, but kudos to the GM who was running it for giving everyone their due and keeping everyone involved. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I, I think a game with a smaller number of players does make for a more fun experience. So I am looking forward to that potentially happening at a catacomb. Woohoo! So uh, what was next? You said that was uh, that was Friday morning after breakfast. What else did you guys do? And I'm probably going to start getting things time-wise messed up because, again, there wasn't a lot of structure to my schedule. So there's a very good chance that I'm going to misremember things in different orders. But at one point, I got to play test a game uh, that Jim McClure is working on. And I I don't know where he is with it. So I'm not going to give any details other than to say it was awesome. And I may have worked my way into getting a writer's credit on it by the time that we were done playtesting. Well, that's certainly intriguing. That That's that's some clickbait journalism if I ever heard it. Uh, there may be some announcements about that soon. And if there are, you absolutely will hear it here as well. Jim uh, is still a good friend. Uh, he and I talk often. Obviously, he lives like five minutes from my house, which, again, we didn't know at the time. But uh, he's got some things he's working on, some really exciting stuff. And uh, I'm I'm really hoping that this thing works out for him. I know he's got a bunch of games in development, uh, but this is kind of one top of the list. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. So uh, I'm really hoping that uh, you guys will have a chance to play it. And we absolutely will feature it on the show when and if it comes down to that. Uh, but the thing after that, I got to play Dungeon World again. And uh, this is one of the things where Michael is a big, he loves Dungeon World. That's like become his number one favorite game. And he's been trying to get me to play it multiple times. He says it will change my life. 
And, uh, you know, we had a chance to play it on our show and just across the board, there's been some conversation that that may not have been the best representation of Dungeon World. We didn't know. So I wanted to try it again. And uh, actually, Hamish, who you've been talking to on Twitter, who uh, wrote a game, a cyberpunk game, I think called The Sprawl, I think is the one that he wrote. Uh, He agreed to run a game for Jim, myself, Michael, and uh, Hamish's significant other, Dana. And so we got a chance to play um, Dungeon World, a very basically traditional D&D style. I got to be the ranger. And uh, I will absolutely say that it was a better experience. I had more fun in this game than our, my first experience. But it didn't change my life. I, I walked away, and Michael and I had a pretty good conversation about it. I didn't feel like there was anything that happened in that game that I could not have repre- uh, represented in a 5e game. Like, I don't, I, I just, I don't know. The two things I'll say is, one, maybe that's because I've already stolen a lot of the ideas presented in it, whether intentional or not, um, where I grant things like auto-success so that you always feel like you can do the thing that you're supposed to be good at, uh, more focus on, you know, asking my players to roll rather than, than them asking to roll. And I don't like rolling 2d6. I've decided 2d6 plus a number, I don't enjoy that mechanic. So I think those are the reasons why I just didn't feel like it was as good of a game as Michael did. Well, that's certainly fair. Uh, in, in this uh, hobby that we have made our profession, there are always going to be parts of games that we like and parts of games that we don't like. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. So you having experienced this game at a couple different opportunities and coming to a conclusion that it's not one of your favorites, that's fine. But I would venture to say that you had a good time playing that game based on the people that were running it and the people that were playing with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jim and I had a very interesting relationship between his uh, foppish bard who could swing some pipe and smoke some pipe. And my loner, he played an instrument. Like, what? Uh, and then my uh, my ranger who was like a sands-born snake hybrid mutant guy with uh, reticulating eyelids and uh, a pet snake who could bite you yeah it was uh, it was a pretty cool game so what's something that you feel uh you've already kind of adapted from dungeon world into your own play style so the the two and i, I kind of went over them very quickly was um trying to let players have more auto successes if a player wants to flip a table and they have a strength of 12 or more a lot of times I'm not going to ask them to roll for that. They can just they can just flip that table. If a rogue wants to pick a lock, they're probably just going to be able to pick the lock. You know, the wizard can do wizardly things. The bard can do bardly things. And uh, that's definitely something that Dungeon World models so that you feel like you're a good representation of that class. So most of the time, if there's no urgency, you can just do the thing that you're supposed to be able to do. And then secondly to that would be uh, Dungeon World is built on a conversation. Like basically, you just tell me what you're doing, and the DM decides if that requires a role. And that is what I'm trying to model in my games. And I'm not going to say that I do it correctly all the time, but that's what I'm trying to get to, where I just want the players to tell me what they do, and then I'll say, okay, I need you to do a skill check, or I need you to do an attack roll, or whatever. So and it, I don't know if it's from Dungeon World or if I've gotten it three three degrees of separation from Dungeon World, not realizing that's where it was from. But those are two big key things that I've tried to work into my all my games that I think Dungeon World maybe have, and it could be powered by the apocalypse first. I know Dungeon World is a derivative of that. 
But maybe those are things I've taken from that unknowingly. So that sort of lessened the experience because it's not that much different than what I tried to emulate in my games anyway. Maybe coming from a strict D&D game that might have been like more uh, revelatory. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that makes sense to me. Um, if uh, if you're the kind of person that runs a very by the rules, make a check now, make an attack roll, that's your AC, that kind of very strict rules as written game, then yes, going to a dungeon world or powered by apocalypse style where it's very freeform would be a huge change. But it it's it's definitely but yeah, you have been making those changes in your own games. I mean, we've been playing games together for the past few years, and I, I definitely recognize you shifting your style to incorporate this more fluidity and dynamic share of narrative with the players. So that makes sense that it isn't as big and impactful to you since you've been proactively making those changes anyway. I just don't like 2D6. Like even if it was 2D8 or especially if it was 2D12, I think I would like that a lot better. I, I just need to do the math and figure out what the what the ranges would be on that. But I just something about rolling 2D6s just doesn't do it for me. Do you, do you just like the bigger dice? Is, I, is that it? I think I do. I do think I like, I like the heft of the larger dice. Because I think the D12 is the best die. Like, just hands down, D12 best. All right. You guys heard it here first. Tabletop ep- episode... Uh, 96. What are we? Ni- 96. D12s are the best. D12s are the best. Maybe that's a show title. <laughs> but, yeah, that'll be in there. D12s are the best. At Origins 2016. Uh, okay, so you had uh, a secret game we can't talk about. You had Dungeon World. What else happened? So, and again, I, I know I'm getting my my dates and times confused because I actually left out. I think the first day I actually ended up having breakfast with Chris and Kendall uh, from the Redemption podcast because they were both there as well. So we had breakfast in the morning. Uh, but more importantly, we played a game with them one of the nights. I don't remember which one. I think it was Friday, but who knows. Uh, but basically, the, we were trying to get into a game... Um, we showed it just by happenstance, Michael and I showed up to try to get into the same game with generics, but there was a lot of people in line. So Chris and Kendall were like, how about we just all four go play something? So Kendall ended up running a game of Wushu second edition for me, which has been on top of my list for a while of a game I wanted to, or not, sorry, not Wushu, Feng Shui, because it's basically the same game. Uh, Whoa, whoa. They are very different games. (laughs) Not a whole lot. You basically, the more you coolly describe what you're doing, the more likely you're going to succeed. Isn't that true in any role-playing game, though, for the Uh, most part? Maybe. Uh, So, yeah, so I'm sorry. So we played Feng Shui 2, and that's probably the best game as far as, like, just laughing and having fun. Uh, I, I mean, I was almost hoarse because of how much I was laughing. It was just a great game. Just it was just so much fun, and I gotta give Michael credit. I, I don't I don't think you've had the privilege of playing with Michael. He's a fun guy to role play with. He really gets into it. He can do voices and just over the top crazy stuff. And uh, I was playing a 13 year old white kid uh, in Hong Kong named Casper. At least that's what people called him because I was the only white kid. And um, and my catchphrase was "I'm on my period," because. My sister always said that to get out of trouble. And I didn't know what it meant. I just know that every time she said it, she didn't get in trouble. So every time someone would come at me, I would just say, I'm on my period. I thought it was hilarious. But uh, it uh, it actually, and, and it won't be interesting or funny to anyone else, but I had 
maybe one of the greatest lines of my gaming career. There was a it was because for most of the game I I played uh, I played him as like pre adolescent. Like, hey sir, um, yes, can I please uh, you know do my little young man voice, which you can do much better than Jamaican. Let's just say that right now. Yeah, the bar is pretty low on that. Uh, but there there was like a very beautiful voluptuous lady at one point, and so basically I changed my you know uh, Greg Brady voice all of a sudden. How are you doing? So I had like a deep growly voice by the end, and there were these like animatronic intelligent apes that were fighting us and at one point one of them said like some sort of pun and and i replied with get your puns off me you damn dirty ape and that was just like you know drop the mic walk out it's over if i uh if this was a real radio show and i had a soundboard i would have hit the crickets (laughs) you had to be there you had to be there jack brando so it sounds like this was a more uh, goofy, silly style of feng shui. Oh my god! Yeah, it was. It was just like in, insane, uh, which is why I probably equated it to wushu. I mean, there was like rocket launchers, and we were causing people to shoot each other. And uh, at one point, we tried to hit an old lady, and we rolled poorly, so she actually had a buns of steel DVD that sort of explained why when we hit her, she didn't have damage. And at one point, one of our characters threw his entire box set of TV commercial infomercials and then shot it. And then actually, I think at one point he threw his gun and then shot that gun, causing that gun to shoot several other people. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I don't have another response to that. I, I, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think there is any uh, other response to that. Yeah. So that was uh, honestly, I, I would say that was probably the highlight of Origins for me was uh, getting to one. I wanted to meet Chris and Kendall. So that was awesome. And then just getting to play a game I wanted to play. And then it being a very fun game that I was just laughing continuously through. There is nothing better than that. So that that would be the highlight of my trip. Feng Shui is a great game to play, especially for those big over the top uh, dramatic, silly things. And, of course, when you get a bunch of people together that are very comfortable at role-playing and very comfortable at playing off of each other, it just gets better and bigger and crazier. Interestingly, the last time I played Feng Shui was at a Catacon last year, and it was a really serious game. It was still a little bit silly. It it was basically one of the very hard-boiled Hong Kong fooey movies And so it had those moments of humor that happen, but they were far outweighed by the serious nature of some of the events. Uh, So it's great to see that one single mechanical system can so easily swing to both extremes and handle them without any trouble whatsoever. I've been a, a fan of feng shui ever since... I heard it being run over on one shot because that was the first time I experienced it. And uh, I think that kind of set the bar for me. That's what I expect out of any feng shui experience. <laughs> so uh, what else did Origins have in store for you, Michael? Uh, I got to meet up with one of our listeners, Brad. Uh, he actually, the last time we did our one of our hangouts, uh, he was the guy who was able to jump on and hang out with for a little bit. Uh, Thrift Gamer on Twitter. And uh, we hung out with him for a little while, and he actually there's like there was a coupon book that you know all those big conventions have. Uh, they were very hot commodity, but he was able to wrangle uh, an extra one for me, and because of that, I was able to get a commemorative D and D glass. So 
awesome. I thought that was awesome, Brad. Thank you. We had lunch together. And more importantly, we had the first of what turned out to be many 25-point Hanabi games. I think I ended up with four over the course of the weekend. That was the first. And we did commemorate it with a, a photograph, though we all look like serial killers in it for some reason. The fabled 25 Hanabi that you have been chasing for over a year. Oh, yeah. And like hardcore, no asterisk. Because I have a no asterisk game with my wife, but there's still a little bit of an asterisk because the game says it's not a memory game. It's a social communication game. So there is nothing in the rules that says you can't write down what you have in your hand. That's not against the rules, but it's against sort of like my sensibilities. But that's how my wife played. So we our 25 game with my wife, she was writing down what her cards were so she could remember them. I didn't. She did. But we got a 25. So even though technically it was no asterisk, I didn't feel good about it. This was a pure 25-point game. No asterisk. No writing down. No cheating. No talking above board. And it was the first of four that I ended up with over the convention. Well, that's very impressive. Oh, it is. I, I need more from you. That's very impressive. I'm sorry. I've never played the game, so I don't have the connection to how important this arbitrary number 25 is. It's pretty freaking awesome, I have to All right. say. Okay, well then, oh my goodness, 25, four times. Ah! <laughs> there you go. That's like 100 points. That's exactly 100 points. It's not like anything. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so yeah, now, now I'm getting all my, my dates and times confused. We ended up uh, going, I, I got to hang out with Rob Schwab for a while. Stand-up fella, great guy. Always a good time. Uh, the, every time I meet Rob, he's awesome. He's one of my heroes now. Just, I just love the guy so much. Um, def- he's going to be at a catacomb. He's all excited about it. Uh, the other big name that I ran into was actually Chris misdirected mark podcast and their entire network i met him and his i think uh fiance jen apologize if i get that wrong uh and we played hanabi with them for several hours and it was like two o'clock in the morning when we got our fourth 25 and what's more important here is that we were using the wild cards so not only did i get four 25s one of them was with the wild card though we did use the wild card version and we used the Variant rule where you could keep going after you ran out of cards. For those of you in the Hanabi know, you know what's going on, but it's serious. Well, as a non-initiated member of whatever Hanabi is, I applaud you for a skill that I do not understand. Well, you will someday, because at a Catacomb, we have to play, because it's it's like the best game. I love it. Um, I think that's all the role-playing that I did. Uh, we end up going to, uh, I mean, obviously I walked through the vendor hall. Um, I didn't buy a whole lot. I actually kind of proud of myself. Uh, I did buy the newest legendary Marvel legendary expansion, which was the Captain America World War II expansion. Uh, that's the only thing I bought other than food while I was there. And I met a couple vendors. I actually met uh, Chad, who is, uh, he's running the Kickstarter uh, for the game table, uh, boardgametables.com, which Actually, there will be a commercial for that on the front of this one, so I don't have to go into it here. But basically, there's a Kickstarter for a game table. It's uh, up to almost a million dollars now. And he's also a sponsor for us for Catacon. He's given us some money. And I had a chance to speak to him and say hi. talk to him for a little bit. Uh, I also met Eric at Wormwood Gaming. They're the ones who do those really high-end dice towers. They're just gorgeous. And they're also a sponsor. They're actually sending us one of those dice towers, which they're, they're amazing. Uh, so I got to say hi to them. And then a couple other vendors I met that I, I, 
kind of suggested that maybe they'd want to come to a catacon, so maybe they will. Uh, but that's basically it. Walked the vendor hall, uh, played a bunch of Hanabi, played some role-playing games, hung out with Michael and uh, Jim and then Brad and then Chris, and then also Nick and other Michael. So there was three Michaels and a Nick in our room. That wasn't confusing at all. It, it sounds as easy to understand as Hanabi right now. It's the best game in the world. I'm sure there's a better game. No. All right, that's fine. I'll. You know what? Let's just wait till November. We'll settle this argument. N- in now November. I've set it up. It's gonna be like Dungeon World. You're gonna be like, well, I mean, it's okay, but you know, it didn't change my life. Exactly. I, exactly. You're I'm, just se- you're just setting up the the response. I oversold it. You oversold it. All right. So it sounds like you had a really game focused, social focused trip to Origins. You got to hang out. You weren't scrambling between games. You got to see people, got to walk around and chat. That's that's cool. See, for me, that's what I expect from a gaming convention. I, I don't want to go just to play a game, move to another hall, play a game, move to another hall. I want to experience games. I want to learn things. I want to try something new. But I want a more relaxed, calm experience like you had here. So with Feng Shui being the high point of your origins, was there a low point? Uh, it's okay to say no. Maybe the Hanabi games that we didn't get 25? <laughs> you know, a uh, lot of, a lot of, a lot of lines. Was it, was it, it was kind of hot a couple of days, but I mean, yeah, it was, it was a good time. I had a really good time. Like the whole time I was there, it was, it was a great con experience. And, and I, it has reinforced my desire to do Gen Con like that and not over schedule, which I do have a lot of things scheduled now, but, but they're, they're not necessarily like official events. I'm running a couple of things, but it's more like people I know, like Rich Howard is running a game that I'm going to get to play in on Thursday. And then I'm going to, I'm going to go to, I'm getting to go to that gamers table uh, dinner that they do. Uh, so I'm going to be hanging out with those guys on Thursday night. Uh, so I'm just, I'm not going to be so worried about scheduling events. It's just experiencing the con and doing pickup games and running into people and just give myself a lot more free time and then enjoy food. Cause I do like food. I'm a fat dude. Uh, I like to eat. Uh, so I give myself time to eat some decent food while I'm out and about. Well, that's good. That's good. In the past, anytime we've had a, a convention recap, you've, always had a, a couple low points some games that were just no fun or an event that you didn't get to in time or, or something like that so uh, i'm very glad to hear that you really had a good time at origins and i'm extra bummed that i didn't come but you know work yeah uh, chris was asking after you at one point one know why you weren't there but i think looking back probably the baker street game was the worst only because of the eight people like if you take that out and then, and so it's like just a little bit less, you know? Sure, sure. Cool. Well, the, um, I, I think that's pretty much a wrap on uh, the Origins recap. We've covered everything. I think it's safe to say you had a great time. And uh, there you go. That was that was Michael's Origins 2016 trip. Um, we'll probably have another one uh, coming up from your Gen Con adventures. So we'll see what happens then. Hopefully I will live up to my desires and and have a great leisurely time, but uh, probably not because I'm crazy. I I hope that you do, but part of me hopes that you try to play Hanabi and you never get that 25. Oh no, after getting 
four 25 scores in a weekend. I think I'm pretty much at like master level at this point. I don't know. I've I've known you for a few years, and I I think you're still going to be chasing some part of this game. There is still the true perfect game where you don't have to use any variant rules, which means you get a 25 before the cards run out. Or the way the rule actually works is that once the last card is drawn, everyone else gets one last turn. So if there's four players and player one draws the last card, players two, three, and four all get to go once. So that would be the absolute perfection. All right. So yeah, go for it. But uh, I don't know. I kind of hope you don't get it. Yeah, that's because you're an a-hole. Yes, that's very true. All right, so let's transition into the end of the show. Uh, we have some reviews to read. We actually have quite a few reviews to read because we did not do this last time, so they've built up. The reason why we do these reviews and read them is because they're important to us. They help other people find our show, and when they go to look for shows and they see a show has X number of reviews, it probably means they're going to give that one more of a listen or maybe a couple episodes before they decide. So having a lot of reviews absolutely helps us. And obviously, it, it makes us feel good, too. When people write good things about us, it uh, it helps us feel like we're doing a good job. And we can, you know, feel good about ourselves for a couple minutes before we go back to going, why do we do this again? <laughs> what, what are we doing? Uh, but we also have the Gen Con contest. It's not really a contest. It's a Gen Con review drive. And basically, what we said back at the beginning of the year is that for every 10 new five-star reviews on iTunes, we would give away $30 at Gen Con as well as an Akatacon badge. And I am happy to report that as of today, we have 21 new five-star reviews. So thank you guys all very much for that. But let's keep them coming. We're only nine away from additional $30 giveaway as well as another Akatacon badge. We set the deadline as July 15th. So we have basically three weeks roughly from right now. Uh, to get those reviews in. And again, you do not have to be the person that wrote them. You do not have to be a person that has has even given us a review. If we get there, we're going to open it up. And that's why it's not a contest. It's more of a drive. We're going to basically say, email us with this subject line. And if we draw you, you'll get it. Uh, you need to be going to Gen Con, obviously, to get the value. Um, and then, obviously, we are still, Catacon is coming. You can still get badges. Kickstarter is over. But if you go to Eventbrite, and search for Akatacon, we're the only one that you will find. Or if you go to theacatacon.com, there's a link that will take you directly there. We still have about mm, about 100 badges that we'd like to sell between now and then uh, to help us cover all of our expenses. But without any further ado, Caleb, will you please read our newest five-star iTunes reviews? Absolutely. I love reading these. Uh, so we've got seven new five-star reviews here to knock out. I will go backwards in time and read them in chronological order. Uh, starting back at the beginning of May from user Swordnut in the UK. Hello, cousin across the pond. It is titled Brilliant RPG Chat and a Fresh and Exciting AP Project. Now, because of this, and uh, because I've read this, I know what it is. I, I'm not going to try to read this in an accent. Because I was going to. And then I read it. And I said, hey, this is cool. Because it's about something I'm doing. So I like this a lot. So I'm not going to screw around with it. <clears throat> the new show in the feed, Rot Iron, has only been going a few weeks. And it's already great. The setting is fresh, being an archipelago with many aquatic hijinks. 
I love the gimmick at the start of the episodes where the players are talking about the adventure and arguing over getting the details wrong. Keep it up, chaps, your friendly neighborhood swordnut. Thank you, swordnut. That makes me feel happy. Uh, next review here is from ATX Music Man here in the US of A, titled Must Listen for Newbie Tabletop Players. Listening to the RPG Academy is one of the reasons I decided to play D&D. Woohoo! Short, sweet, and to the point. Thanks, ATX Music Man. Maybe you should tell us more about what you're playing, because I want to know more. Next one, I don't know who this jerk is. Laughing J0K3R sounds like a total a-hole. Yeah, probably. Probably some jerk in Ohio. I don't know. Uh, it's titled Five Star Variety of Topics with Great Views. From actual plays to table topics to interviews with famous people I'll never meet, there's something for everyone here. With the new sponsorships and Patreon donations spending on great sound equipment, you can tell this podcasting is doing it right. Great job. I'm looking forward to what the future holds. And uh, disclaimer here, we do know who that person is. We're not just ripping on a random stranger. But he is a jerk. But he is a jerk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next review here is from Gixer135. It is titled, Most Entertaining Actual Play Episodes Anywhere! Exclamation point. High praise. Not wrong, but high praise. I'll take the praise. I don't know if I agree, but... Uh, I'll, thank you very much for the praise. And here's what uh, Gixer135 says. Love this podcast. These guys have the right attitude, and I love listening to them. Well, thank you so much. Uh, the next one here is from Helix2301. It's titled Great Show. Great to see a good quality RPG podcast. I subscribed. Well, thank you very much for your subscription and your comment. Uh, next to last here, we have uh, a review from The Mallow Man, titled Best RPG Show Out There. The Mallow Man? The Mallow Man. The Mallow Man? Do you know The Mallow Man? Do you know The Mallow Man? Yes, I know The Mallow Man. He lives on Muffin Lane. I should have said Mallow Lane. I don't know what I was doing. I ruined the bit. Sorry. Anyway. It wasn't a very good bit anyways. <laughs> it was a horrible bit, but I should have been committed to it. You got to be committed to the bit no matter how good or bad it is. We'll get there one of these days. One of these days. Uh, one of these days. Anyway, the Mallow Man titled this review, Best RPG Show Out There. I listen to a lot of gaming podcasts. Most are not good. This one is great. Love the hosts. They're witty and intelligent about their subject matter. Always a treat to listen to this one. Well, thank you very much. And our last newest five-star review is from user Blake Ryan 74 from Australia. That's cool. Wait, do it do I have to do it? I'm I'm not gonna do that. Am I contractually obligated to say throw another shrimp on the Bobby? Uh and all complaints go to Michael Kara of the RPG Academy. I was gonna say I wasn't gonna try to do an impression, so I wasn't going to insult our listeners who are giving us these wonderful reviews that we so much need, but then you went and, and stepped up, so thank you. I love the Outback Steakhouse. I think that might be the least Australian thing on the planet. Fosters. The beer. What? How's it? 
I don't think either of us are going to get a joke about beer because neither of us drink beer. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so this review from Australia says enthusiastic cast and enjoyable content. That was the title. The actual review says these folks enjoy the stories they present via their games and you will enjoy listening to the rich tapestry of tales they present. Each episode has good audio quality and provides a great perspective on each game's setting and style. Enjoyable even for non-gamers. Do yourself a treat and subscribe. Well, thank you very much for everyone who wrote in. We really love getting these reviews. We love reading them. And uh, keep them coming. Keep them coming. We want to get some more in here for our uh, drawing that's coming up here soon. And uh, yeah, it's always good to have them. Absolutely. All right. Well, Caleb, thank you very much for reading all of those. And uh, I think that'll do it. So for Caleb, this has been Michael, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.